This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. My, oh my, what a day we've got. We could start in so many different places when it comes to local news. We could start with the Auditor General's report. We could start with that insane fire over in Little Italy that went up 26 stories through a high-rise building. But instead, I want to start at the issue that's been driving so many people angry. I don't know if you saw this Facebook post. That I did on the weekend. Is that the corner of uh, Hunt Club and Conroy? Needed gas. Saw the price. A dollar thirty-six point four. A dollar thirty-six point four. And they weren't the most expensive. Hopped out of the car, turned on the camera, did a Facebook rant. More than a hundred thousand people have seen it so far. That was the last time that I checked, which was this morning. It's been on fire because people are furious. They're angry about the price of gas. According to a story by the Canadian Press looking at national prices, gas is 22 cents per liter higher right now than it was this time last year. 22 cents a liter higher. In Ottawa, we're paying about that. It was about a buck twelve on Saturday. I, I checked the price of a year ago. It was a buck twelve. It was a dollar thirty six. Was what I was paying. So twenty four cents. Down in Ogdensburg, ninety eight cents a liter. Told you about this last week. What's the government doing about it? Not a whole heck of a lot. Uh, Justin Trudeau's out in BC where. They've got the highest gas prices in the country at $1.59 for regular, some places over $1.60. But he's, he doesn't really want to talk about this. He wants to talk about the fact that he's bringing high-tech jobs, 3,000 well-paying jobs with Amazon will go to Vancouver as they expand their footprint there. There are many reasons why industry giants like Amazon choose to settle and grow in Canada. Our workforce is highly educated, skilled, and diverse. Folks across the country are ready to take on the jobs of tomorrow and help companies like yours shape the future. I'll tell you why they didn't move that, put those 3,000 jobs in Ontario. Same reason they didn't put the server farm here. Cost of electricity is too high. And while everyone thinks of Amazon and these tech companies as being clean, they suck power like you wouldn't believe those server farms. But while Trudeau was in Vancouver, he was asked about the carbon price. He was asked about the price of gas and the fact that his carbon price is just going to drive things up. Starts out at $10 a ton this year, going up to $50 a ton. And Trudeau was asked, will this mean higher gasoline prices at the pump? He didn't answer directly, but instead, what did he say? He said, it's going to come down to consumer choices to pollute less by using less fuel. I think one of the things we've seen uh, across the country is that the incentives 
that come from better from better choices, making choices to be cleaner and greener, is exactly what we want. When you put a price on what you don't want, which is pollution, you encourage people to make better choices. You encourage them to make better choices. Don't drive. Easy for you to say. Not only do you have your million-dollar Mercedes that was gifted to you by your father, you've also got a fleet of cars that drive you around wherever you want, and you don't have to pay for the fuel. You don't even pay for your damn groceries, Justin. We're paying the freight for his fancy glass-bottled water, his organic groceries, his retrofitted home. That's fine. But don't sit there and say, well, you just have to make better choices. A lot of people don't have the choice. Why do people live further out? Sometimes it's where they grew up and they get a job downtown or in Canada or in Orleans. Or they've moved further out because the cost of housing is cheaper there. And it's what they and their budget can afford. I know that he doesn't get this. He's never had to worry about a dollar in his life. And so he just says, pollute less, use less fuel, make better choices. Screw you, Justin. Now, the carbon price, what the conservatives have been asking forever now is, well, you keep saying we can't afford not to do it. What's it going to accomplish? What's this $50 a ton carbon tax actually going to accomplish? Today, we got a bit of the news on that. The environment minister announcing that Canada's carbon pricing plan could eliminate up to 90 million tons of carbon dioxide by 2022. They describe that as the equivalent of taking 20 million cars off the road and accounts for 12% of the total amount of what Canada emitted in 2016. Well, see, here's the problem. And, you know, if this was the Conservatives in and they did this, this would be in the story. Trudeau and the Liberals have committed to cut 30% below 2005 by 2030. By 2016, we were emitting a lot more than we were in 2005. So this won't even get us halfway there, which tells me that it's going to have to increase. But no, Catherine McKenna says this is proof the government's plan is working. And I mean, when you look at the, the price on pollution, it eliminates 80 to 90 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions. So that's like that's like taking all every car off the road in Canada or closing uh, 20 to 23 coal plants for a year. But it won't even get us halfway there. Won't even get us halfway there, and then within eight years, we got to make up the rest? What does that tell you? The carbon tax is going to go higher. The regulations are going to get cranked. Dan McTague mentioned this in passing the other day when we had him on about the price of gas, and he was saying, wait until those emissions reduction targets kick in for the refineries. And What are you talking about, Dan? And so I did some research today. I found a story in the Globe and Mail from just a month ago. Sean McCarthy, he's their energy reporter. They're going to force emitters to reduce their greenhouse gases by 30% or pay tax emissions on anything above that threshold. This is over and above the price on carbon. They're going to tell the 15 refineries, along with other industrial emitters, over and above the carbon tax, 
you have to reduce your emissions by 30%. What do you think that's going to do to the price of gas? What do you think that's going to do to the price of everything that moves by fuel? It's only going to get higher. That's why you've got people saying, get used to the price. It's only going to go up. They're not being fatalistic. That's the plan. That's the plan from Catherine McKenna and Justin Trudeau. Drive up your costs. Make your life less affordable. Make your life less comfortable. This has been the plan all along, and they don't want to tell you that. And they don't want to tell you that after the election, if Trudeau and the Liberals get back in, that carbon tax, it's not going to be $50. It's going to be $150 or $200 or $220 or $300. All numbers I've heard bandied about by Liberals saying, we've got to do this. We've got to increase. You think things are expensive now. Wait until this comes in, and I'm sorry, but rapid transit is not for everyone. Rapid transit doesn't help you in the up in the Fru or in Arnprior or in Russell or Metcalf or North Gore or Richmond. You can't hop on a choo-choo train there. It's not even going to solve the problem for everyone that lives in the core. But that's what they'll tell you. Use mass transit. All right, after you, Catherine, after you, Justin. And I'm not talking about showing up on your bicycle in your heels with your car and driver behind you, Catherine. That's not what I'm talking about. These people are out of touch with what your life is all about. These people are out of touch with what the average person deals with on a daily basis. And they're the ones making the policy and just telling you, make better choices. Well, what I have to say to you is, come next election, you need to remind Canadians, coast to coast, to make better choices. Vote these guys out. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Uh, Stick around. We've got a great show lined up for you. We've got Uh, Well, top five things you need to know coming up next. After that, the Trudeau liberals are trying to shut down opposition in the Senate. Not, you know, blocking bills, just asking questions. We'll hear from Ray Hurd on the Ontario election, which is starting to heat up. He's got some choice words for David Hurley, the $3 million man. We've also got uh, John Robson dropping by just after 8 o'clock. And after 8.30, did you hear about this White House Correspondents' Dinner where they viciously attacked Sarah Sanders, Trump's press secretary, while she was sitting there? Yeah. Liberals, they're all about supporting women and not attacking until the woman's a conservative. Back in moments. be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. May I have your attention, please? Brian Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. Uh, the number one thing you need to know, that insane fire that took uh, took off late this morning, just around 1130 
Smoke started pouring out of the building in Little Italy on uh, Champagne near Carlingwood, or Carling, sorry. Uh, Interim Fire Chief Kim Ayotte says the biggest question is how the fire could have spread that high that fast. I want to know why it happened. I want to know how we can prevent it in the future. I want to make sure that uh, workers who are working in these sites are safe, and I want to make sure that our firefighters are safe when uh, when they're in and around these types of situations. One of the things that... uh, eyewitnesses told CTV News is that they spotted a dumpster that appeared to be on fire first and flames going up through one of the, you know, those tubes that's used on construction sites so they can just literally throw trash down from high levels. That may have been where the fire started. So dramatic story taking place in the heart of our city today, but thankfully nobody hurt. One person taken to hospital uh, with a first-degree burn to their neck from falling debris. But everybody else got out safe. Nobody died in this fire. We'll see what the damage is in terms of this building that is still under construction. Story number two. This is a disturbing one. Long-awaited report on our long-term care centers, the places where so many of us, where our parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles are living out their their dying days. They're there to be looked after, to get the best care. And instead, there were complaint after complaint after complaint. Well, the city's auditor general, Ken Hughes, went in and launched a study, and what they found wasn't pretty. Now, what Ken Hughes has said is that there has been weaknesses found in the handling of drugs uh, within at least two of the four of the city's long-term care facilities, as well uh, as that, that there was an an incident of sexual abuse. Uh, They're not naming the home uh, where this incident took place, but we do know it happened in 2017. And uh, this was a a personal support worker had reported the incident to an RN who was working on But it wasn't until the next day that that was reported to the Ministry of Health and to the police. So reports of a a sexual assault of one of the uh, patients, one of the residents, but you don't get to know anything more about it. I can't understand the privacy aspects, but it seems maddening. But I heard Ken Hughes on with Evan Solomon earlier tonight, and he was asking him, well... Do you know where their drugs taken? And Ken Hughes said, we have no evidence that drugs were taken, but they would have no way of knowing if drugs were taken improperly from the pharmacies in these places. There's no controls on medications that are flying around all over the place. Wouldn't you say that's problematic? I would. Story number three brings us back to the one off the top. That is the price on carbon. Today, the federal liberals came out and said they can reduce up to, up to, but that's like when you walk into a store, it says up to 70% off. Well, this is up to 90 million tons. And Justin Trudeau was in Vancouver making the big announcement about Amazon. He was asked, will this lead to higher prices at the pumps? People are furious across the country about the price of gas. He's asked about it. He didn't answer. Instead, he says it's going to come down to your choices. You you can pollute less. I think one of the things we've seen uh, across the country is that the incentives uh, that 
come from uh, better from uh, better choices. Uh, making choices to be cleaner and greener uh, is exactly what we want. When you put a price on what you don't want, which is pollution, you encourage people uh, to uh, make better choices. Better behavior, better choices. You're a bad person. You drive too much. Come on. Says the guy that doesn't have to actually pay for anything, worry about anything. Man, oh man. Story number four. It's an odd one. A body found in a wall at a downtown mall bathroom in Calgary. I think I know this mall. I've been in there. Maintenance worker went in to move a panel in behind a toilet. There was a problem with the toilet. They removed the panel to try and fix the plumbing or the electronics in behind. There's a body. Emma Poole is the spokesperson for the shopping district. She says there's the possibility that the person accidentally fell from above and got stuck in the wall. That would be the most logical at this point is that it was from above. So that's obviously something that they would be looking at as someone crawling through um, the ventilation system. The fire department has been called in to remove the remains. One of many reasons that I'm not a firefighter. In story number five, just to, um, just to lighten the mood, have a little fun, at, especially after that story. The Norwegian Bliss, it's one of the world's largest cruise ships. It's in Halifax today. These things are no longer just floating bars, floating hotels where you get a cheesy show. This 303-meter vessel has all kinds of entertainment options, including a two-level go-kart track. The cruise lines are certainly uh, going above and beyond in terms of uh, putting amenities on board to uh, to grab the attention and interest of their passengers. And I've never seen one like this with a, with a two-level uh, go-kart track on board the vessel. That's Lane Ferguson with the Port of Halifax, uh, making a stop in at Halifax. Halifax is a big cruising port. My brother's been in there many times. He has not been on the Bliss. It just launched on April 21st. It's on its maiden voyage. It's expected to leave for New York tonight. You know who I think is in New York to see the Bliss? I think his name's Elliot Finkelman. And he hosts Travel Talk. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll speak with Senator Denise Batters next because she's got some disturbing information on what's going on in Parliament. The leader of the unofficial opposition, Brian Lilly, is on your side. Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. The proposed legislation, if passed, would bring in a spending limit for political parties and third parties before and during a campaign period. The government says it also includes ways to make sure third parties are not being funded by foreign money and to reduce barriers to voting for members of the military and people with disabilities. This is a bill that was introduced today, or proposals that were unveiled today. 
going to have to uh, really, really study this. It's uh, Bill C-76. We've talked about the issue of foreign funding with uh, Senator Linda Frum, with Joan Crockett, with others, and it's a real issue. Have they tackled it or are they trying to get around it? Because, look, the liberals have no desire to get out of groups like Tides funding their friends. It only helps them. So they're probably, you know, throwing something in there about Russia, Facebook, blah, blah, collusion, conservatives bad. We'll have to wait and see. That's one side of what's going on with our democracy. But on the other side is something that's happening in the Senate. An organization that doesn't get the attention it should. Senator Denise Batters would argue that way, I believe. She joins me on the line now because... She's raising concern that this whole independent Senate group is turning into a, you know, watching the video you did up of this senator, it looks like you're you're saying that the Justin Trudeau and his appointed man in the Senate, Peter Harder, want to turn the Senate into a giant Borg. <laughs> Not just turn it into a giant Borg, but frankly, get rid of democracy. Um, their first attempt uh, – I guess that started about a year and a half ago when they had their Trudeau government Senate leader going in front of a Senate committee and talking about how, in his view, there was no need to have an official opposition in the Senate. Well, of course he thinks that. He's the government leader. Then a year ago, he brought forward a paper which was going to tell us how we should debate bills um, and take away powers of the opposition. Now he's gone one step further. And of course, this is all, you know, this is not just him coming up with ideas out of his own head. This comes straight from the PMO. And uh, now what he's telling um, parliamentarians in the Senate is how we should vote and when we should amend legislation. I mean, things that go right to the heart of democracy. Hold on, hold on. The the government Mm -hmm. leader in the Senate is telling you how you should vote? Yeah. I I thought Justin Justin Trudeau kicked out all the liberals from the Senate. Then he said he's appointing just a bunch of independent senators that happen to vote with him 95 percent of the time and are all ideologically in line with them, but never mind, they're independent. Yeah. But so how is he telling you how to vote then if, if you're all supposed to be so independent? Exactly. Um, in this discussion paper, the Trudeau Senate leader, Harder, he says that it's unacceptable to vote as a block against a government bill, but the Trudeau government ideal is to vote as a block for a government bill. And we say you can't have it both ways. I mean, it can't. Well, uh, they can't force you not to be a caucus. You're part of the conservative caucus. They can't say you can't do that. That's true. However, he's putting significant pressure. I think his real message in this memo is not necessarily to us in the conservative opposition. He knows he's not going to change our mind. But I think that the Trudeau government is sending a very clear message to the Trudeau appointed independent senators get in line or stay in line. You know, um, you voted 95% with us in the past, better not falter on that. That to me is what the true message is, is to that group of independent senators, because we have some legislation now where independent senators have actually raised significant concerns about it on a couple of different fronts. One was the marijuana bill. They gave second reading speeches voicing major concerns with it, yet they all voted in line um, when it came down to that second reading vote. There's not a defense lawyer in the country that not a defense lawyer in the country that doesn't have huge problems with it. Absolutely. And, exactly. and those guys normally, not all, but an awful lot of them vote liberal and like liberal ideas. And they're saying, wait a minute, this bill's a mess. 
Absolutely, it is a mess. It's a hot mess, as one of your um, guests, I think, has said in the past. And, you know, what we have is a situation where um, I, I think that the Trudeau government, we're really the only caucus, the Conservative caucus, that Trudeau finds to be partisan because we're the only caucus questioning the government and holding it to account. But really, we're the ones who are being open and honest about our partisanship. And meanwhile, Trudeau's so-called independent senators, they're cloaking their political allegiances and smoke and mirrors. And I think we just need to be honest with the Canadian public about that. You recently had a, a senator on the independent side leave. What was that about? I, I kind of just caught the headlines on it. Um, I, I, I tend not to follow this group of people that are you know, walking lockstep with Justin Trudeau as closely as I should, perhaps. Right. Yes, it was one of the quite new independent appointments. Um, David Richards from New Brunswick, he was a um, one that was appointed by Justin Trudeau. He was initially part of the independent senators group, but he decided to leave that group. He said for his own reasons, I mean, he doesn't like to be part of a large group and he felt like it was getting too large. So I don't know, he can answer his own um, questions about that. But I, I think that, uh, who's to know? I mean, there have been some interesting things happen though. And for example, one week after that government senate leaders paper then we had independent senators group with he doesn't like to call himself the whip but he is mark gold he sent a memo to the independent senators and it seemed like the main purpose of that memo which has been reported in a couple of uh, media outlets was to reinforce the trudeau government's message that any to any independents who might think about faltering from their 95 percent voting average like in fact in this memo this independent whip actually says something similar to independence doesn't mean voting with your own personal beliefs so i don't understand what his definition of independence <laughs> <What>? is <laughs> yeah it didn't make a lot of sense to me from the media reports i saw but i think it's important to keep in mind that that particular independent whip he votes 100 percent with the trudeau government not even 95 and he was also a long-term, uh, a long-time and major donor to the Liberal Party of Canada for years before he came to the Senate. I don't well, know if his colleagues knew about that part of it. Uh, the, we know that the recently appointed Lieutenant Governor in Newfoundland is a long-time Liberal because she used to be mm -hmm. in the Cabinet. But uh, I understand from uh, several people tweeting at me that the recently appointed Lieutenant Governor, independently chosen, of course, also... A long time, the one in uh, Saskatchewan, in your home province, also a long time liberal. But I guess we shouldn't be shocked. They're different labels, but things remain the same. Senator Batters, thanks for the time. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And yeah, we're just, it's another example of the long arm of the Trudeau PMO stretching across the street into the Senate, and uh, we're doing our best to fight off their attempts to consolidate power, but they right, should worry well, us all. Try and keep saying in there. Talk okay. soon. Senator <laughs> Denise Batters joining us tonight. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Ray Hurd will join me on the Ontario election next. You don't want to miss Ray. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Much of what uh, Doug Ford has said about so many issues um, sounds on the face of it good. So when someone says, you know, everybody's going to have the same, it's going to be equality. Well, that sounds okay until you realize that, as I said before, sometimes to be equal, there has to be extra investment. 
Kathleen Wynne campaigning in Ottawa today. She was out there at Louis Riel High School, one of the French Board's high schools, and was pushing the idea that to grade 7 at, at an event with grade 7 and 8 students. Well, I mean, if you'd vote for Doug Ford, he, he's not going to uh, value Francophone education quite the same way. So it's a bit like that warning she gave at Humber College. Don't vote, or if you don't vote, old white people will decide the election. This woman is all about division. Meanwhile, the Toronto Star thinking they had a big uh, scoop on Doug Ford with this audio of him saying he would allow building on the green belt. We will open up the green belt, not, not all of it. We're going to open a big chunk of it up and we're going to start building and making it more affordable and putting more houses out there. It, the, 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 the demand for single dwelling homes is huge, but no one can afford them. Is that really going to, in, in Toronto, where everyone's worried about home affordability, is that really going to hurt things? Those are just two of the things out there on the unofficial campaign trail today. Ray Hurd, longtime journalist, political operative, business consultant, joins me now. Ray, this is uh, an election unlike we've seen in, in a long time where the government is so vastly unpopular. I know people talked about Stephen Harper being unpopular, but his party retained official opposition status. We're still talking about the possibility that Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals might be third place after this election. I think that the reality is that this is kind of a replay of the American election. Um, basically, in the, last, in the last American election, Hillary Clinton, whom... Kathleen Wynne resembles in many ways, and Doug Ford, whom some people have compared, I think unfairly, to Donald Trump, were the least popular candidates in the history of the American Republic. And I would say today, the problem is that neither Wynne nor Ford is really liked by average people. I think Wynne has a much bigger problem than Ford. Everyone I know literally hates her. Some people have suggested... You live in deepest, darkest Rosedale, though, Ray. I mean, that's, that's liberal central, isn't it? Well, yes, in a way it is. But I think they've given up on Wynne. And in all the polls that I've seen, she's running third. Now, people like the socialist Horvath, but her problem is they're afraid that, like Bob Ray, who was the last NDP Premier of Ontario, she would tax and spend everyone. And if I were Horvath, I would sue Kathleen Wynne for theft, because <laughs> Kathleen Wynne has stolen all her policies. Wynne is running so far left that Horvath really has nothing to offer because everything she tries to offer is a repetition of what Wynne has already promised the voters. And I think Ford's going to win. He's going to win because he's not, pun intended, Kathleen Wynne. The possibility of, I think you're right, the possibility of another NDP government like Bob Ray getting in, that boogeyman is still out there. Uh, yes, very the, much so. And don't forget that Bob Ray, who's my tennis partner, I was beaten. <laughs> Bob Ray, <laughs> of course, has he become is. a liberal. 
Oh, and my, oh, my. Some hey, people you, think, what's wrong with you and Bob? Why haven't you just become conservative yet? Well, o- open up know, your eyes. <laughs> but I can tell you this, Brian. Um, when you look back at Bob Ray, he, like a lot of other people, as he got older, became more small-c conservative. But I do think that one of the other big issues, and I'm surprised Doug Ford hasn't exploited it, is the brain behind Kathleen Wynne worked as a junior to me in John Turner's office. His name is David Hurley. Now, the mainstream media has not done much on how much he he's the co-manager of her whole campaign. Mm-hmm. He, he is the guy who buried Paul Martin when he was in Ottawa by telling Martin to attack Cretchen, which made Cretchen stay in for four years longer than he was going to. But Hurley's a big issue. He gets mega bucks, and I think you are one of the few journalists who's disclosed how much this guy's been getting from the taxpayers. It's outrageous. It's it's about $3 million. I added about 2.7, and there's new money that's come out since. And the PCs, they, they put out a release, but they haven't said a lot of it. There was a you know a few small stories, but not not the way you would expect for finding out that the guy that run, ran the last campaign and runs the current one has been yeah. you know bilking taxpayers uh, four hundred and twenty bucks an hour is what he charges uh, Ontario Power Generation to consult well, well, with them. Well, that's about what Kathleen Wynne charges poor people a month for for power, <laughs> and he get well say she's got to pay David. See, that's the yeah. thing. She's got to pay David Hurley. Uh, do you think that Kathleen Wynne is desperate when she's going to these divisive tactics, like coming to Ottawa, where there is a significant Francophone population, and trying to warn them that if you don't vote for her, you're not going to get good quality French education? I mean, the education system's falling apart. Globe and Mail just had a story on how every province of, in uh, Canada – Save Ontario has improved their math scores over the last 10 years and Ontario's gone the opposite way. But, you know, she's she's warning if you don't vote for her, your your schools will stink. Well, I can tell you something that's never been published. I know for a fact that the Toronto Star late last year was so concerned about when that they were thinking of running an editorial demanding that she quit. I'm surprised. And indeed, shocked, deeply shocked, Brian, that her own cabinet has not done what federal liberal cabinets do, which is to unseat the ruler, like John Turner, Jean Chrétien, Michael Ignatieff. I'm surprised there hasn't been a palace revolution. She has some very capable ministers in her cabinet, some of whom I think are going to lose their seats. But why haven't they Pulled the plug on Kathleen Wynne. That's the biggest mystery of this whole campaign. There's and been, she's not a very nice person. Uh, there, you know, well, she presents well in a scrum. She presents well when she's in front of a group. She makes it hard to hate her. You know, some some people, you know, yeah. I, I had a term for a guy that I used to have to deal with for work. I said he's got a face that makes you want to punch him, and there yeah. was nothing in particular. You just. His demeanor, everything he did, you know, made you not like the guy. But Kathleen Wynne, when she gets in front of an audience, knows how to work them. She she is a natural politician. 
She's got no, that Brian, going for her, but Brian her policies, be, but the, her but policies the are disastrous. Polls show her personally very unpopular. Yeah, well, I think I think because she's made a mess of hydro. No one can afford that. We've got health care in the hallways. We've got a school system where half the kids in grade six can't pass the math score or, or the, uh, meet the standardized test. So, uh, you know, I, I think her own record is the reason that she should be defeated. And I think that another factor, not among mainstream Christians, but a lot of religious groups are very concerned about her sex education policy. Now, um, well, d- developed by... By the ben person Levin, who, who developed that was her, her mentor, her deputy minister, who was sent to jail for child for, pornography, for, for making it. In, incestual child pornography on the internet. And his name is Ben Levin. Mm-hmm. Now, if I were running Ford's campaign, I would just ask her a question Was this convicted pedophile? incestuous pedophile, I might add, according to the evidence, what role did he play in the education curriculum in general, and specifically the sex education one? And I have friends who are teachers, and they find it sometimes embarrassing teaching what they are supposed to teach according to her curriculum. And I think this should not be underrated in the Catholic community, in the Jewish community, and especially the Muslim community, they don't believe the state has a role in getting involved in what people do in the bedrooms, that that's not the function of a government to instruct children, some of them pre-teens, in all sorts of things like that. I've been covering this since I was on uh, News Talk 1010 almost a decade ago. Uh, when Dalton McGinty blinked and backed down on it. And Kathleen Wynne, when she was education minister, kept telling uh, people that were supportive of this, don't worry, it's going to come back. Don't worry, it's going to come back. Uh, well, that's so I, I the think only this is. She kept. Yeah, well, the rest she didn't, but this one's important to her. I, I think you're right. There's a lot of untapped opposition to what's I in would, there. I Let, would label it as concern. They just don't understand why the government should teach nine-year-old kids. It's age-inappropriate stuff is what I've yep. always felt. Let me ask you this before we go. I played the clip of Doug Ford in the Green Belt. You mentioned touching the Green Belt in Ottawa and people lose their collectivist little minds. Oh, you can't. But it, it hasn't been in place in Toronto all that long. And the simple fact of the matter is it, it has helped drive up the cost of affordable housing. Oh, there's will, no doubt about Will that. Doug Ford lose votes over saying, we'll take some of the Greenbelt land and put affordable homes on there so that people can get into the real estate market instead of you know, millennials being priced out? Because there's a housing crisis in the city. That depends on how well, and the only one who's going to exploit this issue will be Ford, right? How well... He says what you've just said is what he should do. But the editorial writers on the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail are going to go berserk over this because the green belt has sort of been a a pet issue of the liberal left 
editorial writers. As far as the ordinary, and most Canadians are not ordinary, many are extraordinary, but as the so-called ordinary Torontonian won't think this is a big deal because they're more concerned about paying the rent and finding places for their children to live and work in Toronto, which is becoming very difficult. All right, Ray, thanks for the time. We'll check in again before the uh, before the big election day. Okay, thanks, Brian. What are your thoughts on the Ontario election? What you heard Ray and I talk about? What you heard from Kathleen Wynne, Doug Ford? You can drop me a line beyond the news at CFRA.com. If you miss Brian Lilly, don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by this bizarre story out of Calgary with the body found in the wall. Maintenance guy going in to fix a broken toilet and removes a panel and there's a body in the wall. We've all seen those panels that are behind the toilet. They're not big enough for someone to go through and they're saying, well, maybe somebody was climbing up above and fell down in between a wall. Ooh. Maybe it's that gruesome. Maybe there's something a bit more sinister to it. Maybe we need Sherlock Holmes on it. Our next guest I know is a big Sherlock Holmes fan, John Robson. National Post columnist, history professor, documentary filmmaker. John, th- this is a, an appropriate case for Sherlock Holmes, I think. It certainly is, yes. The, the locked uh, room mystery is a detective classic, but the locked panel behind the toilet is uh, it's a bit of a new one on me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, there, there's mystery to it. Let's put it that way. I, I know you're not, before we get to our topic, I know you're not a big TV fan, but uh, my youngest boy has just gotten me into the BBC Sherlock Holmes TV show, and I've only seen one episode. But fantastic. Updated, but fantastic. Still holds true to the uh, the original spirit of Sherlock Holmes. Your mileage no, may vary. Sherlock the remake. The Yeah, the remake uh, with Berna Cumberbun. His yeah, name sounds like Cumberbun. Who- Everything he touches turns to gold. <laughs> not, nothing more than talent, hard work, and dedication to his craft. It's so unfair that he should succeed. But uh... <laughs> Well, if you haven't seen it yet, do check it out. Look, I, I, I wanted to have John on because I read his column in the Post on the weekend. And I know it's about the Como case, and maybe we've beaten it to death. But John had some words in there that made me say, no, we've got to keep talking about this. And not specifically about the beer but about how horrible and woolly-headed this Supreme Court decision is. And, John, you write, R.V. Como is legally wrong, historically flawed, metaphysically rotten and destructive. It is post-truth jurisprudence. Thank you. You summed up everything I was thinking in one sentence. Yeah, I, I know. I, I was one of these things where, you, apart from the fact that we could call it the case of beer, it might seem like a somewhat dry topic otherwise, but it had to be said because it is a very bad ruling in that we are being told we cannot take things across provincial boundaries if the governments don't want us to. It's essentially turned Canada into a 13 squabbling little fiefdoms. Um, they, especially, how could they do this right when B.C. is trying to stop Alberta from building a federally approved pipeline? 
But the thing to me that's worst about it is that it simply made Shipman's hose of the Constitution, the plain language of the Constitution, the clear intent of the founders, the legislative context. All of this made plain that the BNA created an internal free market. And the Supreme Court made a lousy ruling back in 1921 and said, no, 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 it's just a, a corrupt ruling that had ministerial interference in the justice system, asking two Supreme Court justices to meet with them to discuss the case. Yeah, just just a bad jurisprudence tainted, and then they, they liked it because it increased the power of government or something. And now we get this court. Uh, this court, I actually, I wrote about this. I wrote a paper for the McDonald Laurier Institute back, well, co-wrote it in 2010 with Brian Lee Crowley and with the late Robert Knox. And I was just seeing some comments that Brian made, which he began by quoting Alice in Wonderland, Humpty Dumpty saying, when I use the word, it means exactly what I want it to mean, no more and no less. And that's what they're doing with the Constitution. They are pretending to care what the text says, but they think they are so enlightened that they can simply create law, and never get it wrong. And we have a constitution now that is so lopsided that there's no check on the judicial branch. There is nothing that we can do as voters, not if we're members of parliament, not even if we're members of the executive branch. There is nothing that we can do when the Supreme Court makes a decision that is wrong. Well, okay, and let let me ask you about this, because as far as I can tell, they can... They can make whatever decision they want and invent reasons for it. And they, they said in in this case they couldn't allow Mr. Como to have his beer freely or the rest of us or anybody else or anything move freely within Canada because of this 1921 case. And they said we can't. It's star it's, you know, it's This is precedent. We've got – we're bound by it. Well, explain to me why the Rodriguez case – unassisted suicide decided in 1993 was thrown out just a few years ago. Well, because the Supreme Court, the judges in society had decided that now they liked assisted suicide. Yeah, it's astonishing gall from this court to talk about the importance of precedent, except, of course, to them, words mean whatever they want them to mean. And it's the tribute that vice pays to virtue that they pretend that they care about precedent, because obviously if there's no precedent, the whole system is thrown into chaos. But And, and then they're, ruling, they're, they're reasoning that, well, you know, it's not a restraint of interprovincial trade if that's an incidental effect of it, as opposed to being the main purpose. And that's true, and that's a sound legal principle. But who in their right mind could possibly think that the New Brunswick Liquor Control Act does not have as its main purpose impeding interprovincial trade so as to charge higher prices to people in New Brunswick to benefit the government coffers. And I'll tell you what, if if this is a legitimate exercise of provincial power, then the B.C. government can clearly block pipelines out of concern for the environment. That's a far more legitimate impediment to interprovincial trade than this one on the beer. But again, because the court only talks about precedent, it does not actually respect it, there is no way anybody can tell what they might say if the B.C. government tried to do that. I, I wrote about this the day of the decision. I was reading through the decision, and I, th- I think it's around paragraph. I, I'm 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 thinking 121, but that's the section of the Constitution. I forget what paragraph number it was, but I, I quoted it, and I said John Horgan has to be the happiest man in Canada right now because this one paragraph, standalone laws that have the effect of restricting trade across provincial boundaries, will not violate section. 121, if their primary purpose is not to impede trade but some other purpose, 
Thus, a law that prohibits liquor crossing a provincial boundary for the primary purpose of protecting the health and welfare of the people in the province would not violate Section 121. Well, John Horgan can now say, I'm not violating Section 92 of the Constitution by uh, blocking this pipeline. This is for the health and welfare of the people. This is for the health and welfare of the environment. You can't stop me. Supreme Court says so. Precedent. And, and, you know, the thing is, he, he might even have a halfway decent argument, whereas the idea that the New Brunswick Act is intended to protect the health of the people of New Brunswick, it's a transparent uh, fakery. That law is about making money for the government. If there was not a New Brunswick Liquor Corporation, there was an, one chance in 10 million that the New Brunswick government would have this rule. It's only to protect government revenue. So the Supreme Court, I mean, they got the facts wrong. They got the jurisprudence wrong. They got the Constitution wrong. They got everything wrong. But they are so wise that they cannot err. I mean, if, if you want to meet now, somebody to whom humility is but a distant rumor, I point <laughs> you to the outgoing Chief Justice of our Supreme Court. The, the things that she has said in the past about how great our judicial selection system is, I mean, she said, you know, from where I sit, the system is really good. Well, yeah, that's because it chose you. You know, it, it, the chutzpah, the, the lack of self-awareness is, is stunning. And now they've added on this other rule, which they're all applauding themselves about for selecting judges, just as an aside here, where they have to be bilingual. And that, Beverly McLaughlin would never have made it to the Supreme Court when she was chosen by Brian Mulroney in, what, around 1990, somewhere around there, if that rule was in effect, because she wasn't bilingual then. She became know, bilingual you know. when she came here. So did some of the Francophone justices. They improved their English when they came here because they were from Sherbrooke or they were from the Saguenay. Uh, and, and now we're going to have this, you know, ever shrinking pool of lawyers and judges that all think the same way. And, and I think it's already, I was speaking with Sean Peer from McDonald Laurie Institute about this. I think it's already too much groupthink. This horrible decision which I don't even think they will bind themselves to if a future case comes up that makes, you know, this precedent makes it uncomfortable for them. They won't even abide by their own precedent. This was a unanimous decision. Not one of those robed monkeys sitting up there pretending to be judges had the brains to say, well, actually, I'm going to dissent a little bit. I've read a lot of decisions, John. I've covered a lot of cases. There are regularly dissent or even they'll agree with the judgment in whole, but dissent in part. Not even that. This was a collectively written decision. I know, and, and Beverly McLaughlin was very good at getting this kind of unanimity out of the court, which she clearly prized, because you just see this this nine superior beings in robes. It's like something out of a bad Star Trek episode. These guardians of the galaxy and not like the ones in the movie, um, emanating an aura of wisdom and power. And if they were to disagree, people might think they were just mortals. They might start paying attention to the man behind the curtain. So there can't be any of that. It's just a great and terrible court. But how did we ever get to the point where we thought it was a good thing to surrender our power of self-government in this manner? You know, I mean, to point out other cases, that gay marriage came to us from the courts. And you may like gay marriage or you may not like gay marriage, but if you like it, surely you would have preferred that it be brought in by the people's representatives. That would have seemed to be the right way to affirm it and entrench it as fundamental law. But instead, we bypassed the parliament and congratulated ourselves for doing it. And we do this more and more. But who, I mean, who are these judges? From what planet do they come that they are untainted by the flaws that affect all the rest of us and make it perilous to give us power without restraint or without humility. It's astonishing to me that more people don't worry about this. 
Uh, John, before I let you go, uh, your recent documentary on the environment, what's the name of it again? It's called The Environment, A True Story. Okay. Now, it's had almost 10,000 views. I'm, I'm very pleased because it is, it is two and a half hours long. It is intended, if you're interested in getting into the debate, it is intended to cover it from all the important angles so that you can't be ambushed or bullied. So it, it, it takes some going through, but I've really tried to explain that we know a lot about the past history of the Earth, and it shows that the alarmists are wrong in virtually everything that they say. Well, but and I think now, one of the reasons why is they don't know. Just today... Catherine McKenna answered one of the questions that she's been unwilling to answer before, and that is this $50 per ton price on carbon, not a tax, John, it's a price. It will reduce Canada's greenhouse gas emissions by about 12% of what we emitted in 2016. Now, that won't get us anywhere near our targets of 30% below 2005 by 2030, but they're saying... We can do this up to 90 uh, million megatons just by putting this $50 per ton on carbon. Uh, What do you say? Well, I appreciate her giving us a target at last that we can measure her performance against, but it is absolute bosh. Because in order to make us stop using fossil fuels, they need to make it hurt. They need to raise the price. And this, you know what their target is? The real target that everybody who's in this thing up to their clavicles is going on about an 80% reduction by 2050. 16% by 2030, this is as nothing. They want us to stop using fossil fuels. The British and French governments are going to ban the sale of gasoline and diesel cars by 2040. So $50 a ton is going to get us down 16%. We won't meet our targets. Apparently, Andrew Scheer has a non-plan that will get us to our Paris Accord targets without even a carbon tax. Again, you know, unicorn power to the rescue. But but they're they're going to have to bring in a tax of three, four, five hundred dollars a ton, and they know it if they know anything. Now, with Catherine McKenna, not saying she knows anything. I don't want to you know put an unfair burden on the woman. But those who understand this understand that fifty dollars a ton is even remotely. Her own department says three hundred dollars a ton. Yeah, three hundred dollars a ton, and of course that may be too little. But it's sure that's not an overestimate. They want us to stop using fossil fuels, and they don't have alternatives. They won't even build nuclear plants. The one reliable, dependable, easy-to-use, safe, proven way to generate energy with minimal greenhouse gas emissions, which aren't even a problem anyway. Watch my documentary. You can go to johnrobson.ca, follow the links, or go on YouTube, The Environment of True Story. There is no man-made climate change. And Catherine McKenna, with her babbling about wildfires, even the most alarmist scientist will not tell you that those wildfires are linked to climate change. And yet she has, you know, the, the closed mind and the open mouth in the most appalling <laughs> manner. Every event, every event that she doesn't like is related to climate change. And every time you point to something else, she says, that's just weather. Or that happens all the time. Yeah, and so do wildfires happen all the time. Does she really think there didn't used to be wildfires? So we talk about hurricanes. We have good statistics on hurricanes. They have not been getting more frequent in the 20th century. They have been getting less frequent. And so I'll leave you on this, and we'll let you plug again at the end. But, you know, during last year's hurricane season, I was very worried about this. You know, my parents' home in Florida, it's not much, but it's where they spend their, their winters. It's their Shangri-La in the middle of winter to escape in their retirement years. It was in the middle of the path of Irma. And, you know, could have, could have killed their friends, you know. So 
I, I have a vested interest in this not hitting, and thank God it didn't. But at the time, people kept saying, well, the hurricanes are becoming more frequent and more severe. And so I looked up the data, John, and I know you've looked at the, um, uh, the, the data on how frequent, and it, that hasn't happened. And people said, well, they're more severe. And I looked up the severity index because all these things are tracked and measured by scientists and posted online for all of us to see. And when I pointed out that they were actually less severe, they said, yes, but they're dropping more water on the land. That makes them more severe. I said, you can't change the measurement halfway through. Oh, but they do. They move the goalposts all the time. In fact, and I mentioned this in the documentary, in the mid-2010s, when it was clear that hurricane activity was decreasing, we started to see stories saying, ah, because that's because global warming is causing wind shear to clip off the storms. And that was all fine and good. And then we, we got hurricanes in 2015, 2016. Suddenly they were back to saying global warming causes hurricanes. So they ran three different stories over the course of 15 years. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. They look out the window, they see what's happened, and then they make their prediction. But, you know, predictions are meant to be about the future, not about the past. And even so, they can't predict much of the past. They can't predict the Little Ice Age. They can't predict the medieval warm periods. They pretend it didn't happen. They can't predict the Roman warm period. When Hannibal brought his elephants over the Alps, there may have been no glaciers. People say, oh, it's it's unprecedented warming today. No, it's not. It was warmer in the medieval warm period. It was warmer in the Roman warm period. It was warmer in the Minoan warm period. If anything, the planet's getting colder in the series of cycles that are going up and down. But we know all this. You know, some people taunted me when I did the documentary. Said, oh, you think you've discovered things scientists haven't discovered? <laughs> no, I think I've discovered things scientists have discovered. Everybody knows about this. We all know about the Vikings farming in Greenland. You want to try that today? You want to try and grow grapes for wine in Newfoundland? Or Scotland. The Romans grew grapes in, in England and even parts of Scotland. There's all kinds of evidence. It's amazing. People talk about evidence-based decision-making, but they wouldn't recognize it if they tripped over it. We're way over time. What's the the website again to find the documentary? You just go to johnrobson.ca and then go to the documentaries tab. They're all free on YouTube because they were crowdfunded, but you can buy a copy or make a contribution to support my work. I'm dependent on you to keep making it happen. All right, John. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks for having me on the show. And if you like John's work, then yeah, go. Support him one way or the other, whether it's watching the video and, and, and sit through the ads if you watch the video. Also, though, buy a copy. Help them out. Crowdfund the next one. Coming up in uh, just a couple of minutes' time, we're going to have someone on to talk about what happened th- uh, on the weekend at the White House Correspondents' Dinner and the bitter, vicious attack on women. I thought we weren't supposed to do that. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. You may have heard I was invited to another event tonight, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. But I'd much rather be in Washington, Michigan, than in Washington, D.C. right now. That I can tell you. President Trump, 
at a rally Saturday night. That's what he did instead of going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I don't blame him. I was a member of the Parliamentary Press Gallery from 2005 until, well, just last year. Got to renew it. You know, there's some benefits to getting access to these things. But I never went to the dinner. I have a perfect attendance record of zero because I just thought, what's the point of hanging out with a bunch of people that loathe me the rest of the week and then hearing bad jokes about conservatives all freaking night? That's what they had at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Vicious jokes. We can't play you all of them. I'll play you a little bit of what we can from a woman I'd never heard of until Sunday morning when she was eating up all the space on my Twitter feed. This is alleged comedian Michelle Wolf. I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like she burns facts and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. Like maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. It's probably lies. Yeah. Apparently she's funny. That's that's what all the cool kids are saying anyway. Uh, Megan Barth, likely one of those that doesn't find her funny. She is the co-founder of a website called Media Equalizer. And I love the headline up at your site. Congrats, White House Correspondents Dinner. Now even more Americans loathe the press. Megan, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's good to be on with you for the first time. What on earth was this all about? Roasting is is a normal, good-natured thing. And there's one that the Catholic Archdiocese in New York does every year. And I remember during 2012, Romney and Obama sitting on either side of the Cardinal Archbishop and both of them having jokes lobbed at each other. But, you know, it was good-natured roasting. This was a vicious, over-the-tack assault directed at one side and one side only, wasn't it? Yeah, and normally when you when you look at roasts of of uh, the past, you know you're surrounded by people that like you. You're surrounded by people that care for you. But this was literally a piranha's den for any conservative. And you know Rob Schneider, uh, a former SNL fame and uh, Hollywood star now, has said about Alec Baldwin, and this plays true to to this event in that comedians, specifically in America, have lost really all of their ability to be funny because the hatred that they have towards conservatives, towards Trump, towards anyone that doesn't think like them, taints the comedy. Uh, They're not self-deprecating. They have chosen themselves to be the moral authority that if you disagree with them on any platform, whether it be abortion, uh, whether it be the size of government, whether it be freedom of speech, you are somehow an enemy of them, and they have every right to completely lambast you, uh, bully you uh, into silence. And what this comedian, who I've never heard of either until she blew up my Twitter feed, I don't know how they found her, obviously Kathy Griffin, after her decapitated head uh, you know, uh, soliloquy uh, launched to the bottom of the pit, uh, they, they found this gal named Michelle Wolf, and uh, she took it upon herself to basically just make jokes uh, out of hatred towards women, specifically like Kellyanne Conway, uh, like uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and others around and in the Trump administration 
who she found to be less of an intellectual than she is. Speaking with Megan Barth, co-founder of MediaEqualizer.com, check out the website if you want to see some, you know, a group of people writing about media bias from an American perspective. I'll give you everything you need to know about CBC on this show, folks. Uh, but Megan, you know, I um, I recently watched, you, you mentioned Rob Schneider saying how much things have changed. I recently watched uh, Dana Carvey's stand-up special on Netflix. It's called... Um, Single white or married white male 60, something to that effect. And he got political. And, of course, he was political while he was on SNL. He did a lot of George H.W. Bush stuff. But what was different was that he was taking the mickey out of everyone. He was making fun of Donald Trump. Yeah. But he was making fun of Obama. And he went back to his days making fun of Clinton and the Bushes. And, and it wasn't vicious. I was laughing along hard at all of it. And what I find is that it's such a one-note orchestra right now that I have no interest in it. In, in, in the late-night comedians, in people like this Michelle Wolf, it, it just turns me off. Right. Leave it to the progressives in America to destroy anything that's enjoyable, whether it be Hollywood, whether it be comedy, whether it be the NFL. They have to infuse their point. They have to infuse their point of view in every form of media, and it paints it specifically comedy. You know, and that's where I get back to self-deprecation. You know, self-deprecation. When you look at Bob Hope, when you look at Don Rickles, Don Rickles was ruthless. I mean, there wasn't a person in the audience he wouldn't drag over the coals, but it was done out of love. It was done out of either love of himself, love of his audience, love of country. You look at Bob Hope, Johnny Carson, the same way. They would poke fun at political figures or media figures, but they did so out of a loving jest. This comes out of a place of true hatred and spite. And you can feel it. You could cut the knife. I wasn't there, but I've talked to many friends who were there. You could cut the tension in the room with a knife, even a butter knife. I, um, people weren't having fun. One of the th- Well, a lot of people were laughing, just not the conservatives, uh, I, I suppose. That's the, press cor- that's the press corps. 90% of the media has been negative against Donald Trump, even though he's done some extraordinarily good things for this country and for <laughs> Uh, foreign policy when you look specifically yeah, at North Korea or I saw, ISIS. I saw people arguing about the translation of what the South Korean president said about Donald Trump should get the uh, Nobel Prize, the Peace Prize. Oh, well, mm-hmm. Korean, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a complex language and he may actually have said something mm-hmm. else. And then, no, oh, yeah. no, the Blue House came out, which is their presidential palace, and said, uh, no, actually, he said he should get it. So uh, th- that is how twisted and deranged that the media is, and we know that, but we've heard an awful lot about how, you know, the, the sisterhood and women and, you know, don't be misogynist. And there you had a woman being utterly vicious to another woman that if it had been on the other side politically, and I hate doing this all the time, but what other choice do we have? There is a one side that acts in a way that they would denounce conservatives for day in and day out, and they would have denounced 
a conservative comedian going up, male or female, and attacking a, a, a woman who was the president or the press secretary or an advisor in the same way that they attacked Kellyanne Conway and Sarah Sanders. Yeah, if, if Roseanne Barr was up there, for example, years ago, and she decided to throw Michelle Obama, Valerie Jarrett, uh, and other women in and around uh, the Obama cabinet, uh, and she did so in such a vicious manner, uh, there would be calls for, um, you know, there, there would be calls of misogyny, uh, you know, she would be run out of the country. Uh, they even want to run her out of the country now because she has a hit show that appeals to 63 million Americans. I mean, this is how narrow-minded the progressive and tolerant left is in this country, and I'm sure it's similar across the border in your country. Uh, they can't stand to have an alternate point of view. Uh, they claim tolerance and diversity, but it's not diversity of thought. Uh, it's certainly diver- it's just diversity of skin color. Oh, well, my, how tolerant you are. Oh, but no, uh, that, see, that's the worst. If, if somebody is uh, of, if they're black, if they're East Indian, and they say they're conservative, that's the worst. Because Oh, in here, too. It, yes. it, you know, you can't be a minority and a conservative, and that, that goes across both sides of the border. Um you know, I don't actually like think Kanye Con- West I don't think Kanye is actually a conservative. I think he's saying he yeah. likes Trump on some things and, you know, some conservatives are going a bit overboard on it. Uh, but the left is going mental over it. They've lost their collectivist little minds over Kanye West saying anything nice about Trump. And I guess that really does show you that in the media entertainment complex, it is the ultimate groupthink. Well, yeah, and being a conservative doesn't mean you think monolithically. But being a collectivist, like a progressive, you can only have one train of thought. I would never label Kanye as a conservative. I would simply label him as a free thinker. Um, I would label Thomas Sowell as a conservative, whereby his view uh, as, a, as a black American has a limited form of government. He is a, a, a philosopher. Uh, a and genius. So, and a genius. And actually, Kanye just tweeted one of his friends who had found Thomas Sowell, and it's like this that will appeal to the masses, because I haven't met many Americans or people that really subscribe to a collectivist point of view. We all have our own DNA. We are all individuals, whether we are humankind, as Trudeau says, or whether we are womankind or mankind. We all are individuals, and thereby we all think individually. Um, and so, uh, you know, this, this collectivist groupthink that is suppressing, uh, whether it be conservative thought or any thought, uh, is really a danger. It's a danger. We have a First Amendment. You don't. Um, We cherish our First Amendment. Our progressives, the Democrat Party uh, across the line here, they hate the First Amendment. They created something called hate speech. But they don't label themselves as haters like Michelle Wolf who has the ability to completely trash women that don't think like her in her midst. Mm-hmm. And then just they label that as comedy instead of hate speech. Uh, we do have uh, freedom of uh, expression, but we also have a Supreme Court that uh, shreds our Constitution anytime it goes up against a progressive ideal that they don't like. So there is that. Of course. Uh, thanks for the time today, Megan. Uh, do check out Megan Barth and her colleagues at MediaEqualizer.com. And you know, maybe next year they'll have better entertainment and you'll go or... Do you think this thing might just fall apart one day? 
Well, if it's like the NFL, I'm sure it will just fall apart one day. Uh, you know, leave it to the progressives to ruin anything entertaining and then blame us for saying that we're not <laughs> funny. You know, no, actually, I, I'd like to have a White House correspondence dinner that actually appreciates honest journalism and can joke. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. We'll see. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Megan. Thank you. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, yeah, I'll give you some examples of the media group think here and problems like that. And also pulling up more data on Trudeau's crazy carbon price scheme, his carbon tax. It's not going to work, folks. You can listen to V-Lil now. Or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So since we were just talking about media bias there with Megan Barth from MediaEqualizer.com, you know, let me remind you that the liberals made a big announcement today on their price on carbon. They made a huge announcement. And are you seeing anywhere that they are fact-checking it? Andrew Shear said in an interview with... Evan Solomon on CTV's question period that, well, we will, uh, uh, we will um, meet the Paris targets without a carbon tax. Oh, you can't do that. <laughs> Conniptions, they're dying, they're choking, they can't. Oh, smelling salts, please. So the Liberals released their plan today that says, Environment Canada says it'll eliminate between 80 and 90 million tons, megatons of greenhouse gas emissions with the $50 a ton carbon tax. Now, unfortunately, there's nothing in here in these reports fact-checking whether it will actually work or whether it brings us close. I'm just reading through the the long piece from the Canadian press, and it's spending more time talking about sheer and how this is contentious than, all right, does this policy work? They say it's going to reduce. Yeah, I'll get into more of this, but they, they just don't fact check. I'll give you the full facts after the news at nine o'clock. I'm going to go through this again. This is important. Will Facebook live it? It didn't work earlier. Will Facebook live it? And I want you to share this because this is vitally important that people hear this information. But they're not being fact-checked by the press that immediately jump all over the conservatives when they say anything. They did that with Doug Ford. Every announcement Doug Ford makes, not possible. That's generally the first headline or moronic or idiotic. Kathleen Wynne? She can say what she wants. Ay vey, Maria. That's all I got to say. 
Got to say, I wasn't crying on the weekend like an awful lot of Sens fans. A lot of Sens fans crying. You know what I did on the weekend, though, Elsie? What? I did not take in Avengers Infinity Wars. Kind of forgot about that. Yeah, neither did I. Maybe this weekend, though. But did take in. You can go during the day. You're out in Canada. Go to Landmark. Lay down in one of those seats in the middle of the day. That's the best way, man. Got to do that. And tomorrow's Tuesday. You'll get in uh, cheaper. Hmm. There you go. Um, The uh, Ottawa Fury. They had a good game against FC Cincinnati. A little cold, but nice sunny day down at the stadium at TD Place, checking out the Fury. Looked like they were going to have a scoreless draw, and then boom, 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 three goals in a row. Horrible. Horrible. I did not like it. Let's just put it that way. Did not like the end. I, I You know, I like the beginning. You were watching the draft lottery, though? Yes, I was. I was going to say that's a really geeky thing, but they put it in the pregame and then in the second intermission. Right? Yeah. So you don't have to spend a Saturday afternoon or like the NFL guys, what was it, last Thursday night sitting around watching it? Well, see, I, I kind of maybe get what they were going for because what they did in the past is um, they actually um, they actually unveiled like uh, 15 through 4 in one break, they take a commercial break and then come back and give the top three. So they do it all in the first intermission. But I guess because, you know, there's a hockey game on, it's just like, oh, once the draft lottery's done, I guess everyone just gets up and leaves. And just for the sake of ratings, they're probably just like, you know what? We'll drag the suspense on a little bit and yeah. we'll play in the second intermission. Although that that was the second intermission of the Vegas game, was it? Yeah, Which Vegas-San Jose. You can't complain about. That was a good game. Sebastian Tremblay, who until last week was producer on the Evan Solomon Show in yep. Ottawa now, he's left to go to City Hall, took a little mini vacay yep. in transition. Did you see where he was on Saturday night? Yeah, I saw the photos, all right. He was is posting online his photos from uh, some pretty sweet seats at the T-Mobile Arena, I think they call it, mm-hmm. down in Vegas. And not only did he get a good game, but double overtime. So he got his money's worth. You got to say that. What'd you make of the uh, the Sens coming in, what, 40th place? Well, um, yeah, even when they're losing, they lose. Um, they actually, you would think if they didn't win the first lottery, they get the second place lottery. They didn't win that. They uh, didn't get the third place lottery. Uh, Montreal ended up getting that. But when I found out that Montreal was in the mix for Rasmus Dahlien, I was just thinking... Dalene. Yeah. We, they, we, they, we got to pronounce her on Dalene, it this weekend. Dalene. Yeah, just Dalene, like Sedine yeah. and all the all the Swedes. Ean. So, so Ean on it. So when I heard that they were in the running, um, I was just thinking, they traded P.K. Subban two years ago. They traded Mikhail Sergachev to Tampa Bay. That's two quality defensemen in two years they've traded. Imagine if they just get Rasmus Dalene handed to them on a silver platter, even though... By their own fault, they traded away two very talented defensemen. In my opinion, that would just be highway <laughs> robbery. You just don't think they deserve it. Yeah, I don't. And so when uh, the when uh, the third overall pick came up, I never thought I'd say this, but I've never been happier to see a Montreal Canadiens logo in my entire life. Okay, but but Elsie, we got to run. But isn't that sad? You're not happy about the Senators getting the fourth pick or anything. You're just happy Montreal didn't get better. I'd be ha- even happier. Well, if Montreal Ottawa got did get it. better. Montreal got third, right? And and we'd have to face, and then the Sens would have to face him four times a year in a Habs uniform. That'd be even worse. Oh. Man.
Well, we'll see if uh, we'll see who they pick in what three weeks, four um, weeks, yeah, month and a half. June twenty second, I believe, is draft day, and there and there there's still a, a lot of good top five picks to choose from. So they'll get a good player. It just won't be Dowling. All right, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, I'll break down the uh, the problems with Trudeau's carbon pricing plan. I'll do the work of the other journalists that are up there all day. The the work they won't do. That's next. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. How much were you paying for gas on the weekend? I know I was paying a buck thirty-six four. A buck thirty-six four. Not exactly a nice price when you consider that we were paying twenty odd cents a liter less a year ago. We were paying about a buck eleven, buck twelve in Ottawa a year ago. I was paying a buck thirty-six four on the weekend. Across the country, people are furious about gas prices. They're upset about gas prices. It's outrageous what we're paying right now. And I've spoken to the people that know what they're talking about on this. And they tell me has more to do with big government than big oil. Quite often we want to attack big oil. It's Esso's fault. Let's boycott everyone. Don't buy it Esso next Monday. Don't buy it Petro Canada on Tuesday. Boycott, boycott, boycott. Those never work. About 45%, I believe, of the price of gas in one form or another comes down to taxes. And with Trudeau's carbon tax, it's only going to get worse. And now we've got data that proves me right. You know, Trudeau's answer up until now has always been, we can't afford not to do it. Okay, well, what will you accomplish? That was the question that the Conservatives have been putting to them for some time now. What will this accomplish? We put your $50 a ton price on carbon. How much will emissions go down by? Now, I've had to do this work in the middle of my show because the journalists that were covering the event just didn't do it. You know, why would they fact check a liberal? They don't fact check liberals. They fact check conservatives. Like when Andrew Scheer came out saying – we can meet our uh, our plan. We can meet the Paris targets without a carbon tax. <laughs> Can't do that. Stupid conservatives. Typical media reaction. But when the liberals come out and say our $50 a ton carbon tax shows that we are going to meet our targets, uh, I look at it and go, wait a minute. No, actually, it, it says the opposite. So... From the Toronto Red Star via Canadian Press. An Environment Canada analysis says the federal government's carbon pricing plan could, could, could eliminate up to 90 million tons of carbon dioxide by 2022. Now, when you see that could, that's like when you go to a store and it says, save up to 70%. How often do you find the shirt or the pair of pants you want that's actually 70% off? You don't. So could eliminate up to 90 million tons of carbon dioxide by 2022 means that's our best case scenario, but we're probably not going to do it. 
They go on and say that's roughly the equivalent of taking more than 20 million cars off the road and accounts for about 12% of the total amount of what Canada emitted in 2016. Let me just play you, Catherine McKenna, a clip from, she did this this morning. I don't know how I missed this until I got in here, but I missed this today. Here's what she was telling reporters on her conference call. And, I mean, when you look at the, the price on pollution, it eliminates 80 to 90 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions. So that's like that's like taking all every car off the road in Canada or closing uh, 20 to 23 coal plants for a year. Taking all the cars off the road. That's really their goal, isn't it? They don't want you to try and continue driving. They want you to give up your car. They don't believe in people living in the suburbs or in the country. They want you all downtown, living in a high-rise, taking public transit everywhere, which is exactly how Justin Trudeau lives, isn't it? Oh, no, wait. Not how he lives at all. But it is what he wants you to do because he told, he told people today he wants Canadians to make better choices. He's in Vancouver making this big announcement about Amazon could bring up to 3,000 jobs, up to 3,000 jobs to Vancouver. They might not bring that many because, well, people will be turned off by the price of gas there. Up to 3,000 jobs. But while he's there, he's asked about what will this carbon price uh, scheme do to the price of gas? Because he's promised this $50 a ton will get us to where we want. I can show you that we won't. But what does Justin Trudeau say? He doesn't answer well whether his plan will increase the price of gas. He says you need to make better choices. I think one of the things we've seen uh, across the country is that the incentives uh, that come from uh, better beha- from uh, better choices, uh, making choices to be cleaner and greener, uh, is exactly what we want. When you put a price on what you don't want, which is pollution, you encourage people uh, to uh, make better choices. Make better behavior, better choices. Make better choices. Isn't that a little sweet coming from a guy that's never had to worry about stretching a dollar in his life? A guy whose family hasn't had to work since the 1930s when his grandfather struck it rich with a string of gas stations around Montreal? A little rich. They haven't had to work since the 1930s because of all the hard work. His grandfather, by the way, was a conservative and a businessman, and hard work. This guy gets driven around by a fleet of cars. He has a driver on standby. He doesn't pay for any of the gas, but, you know, I'm not saying he should. I'm just saying he doesn't get what you and I are going through. They say make better choices in this this $50 a ton. It's going to reduce emissions by 12% under 2016 levels. Now, this is a little complicated to discuss on radio, but it's all posted at brianlilly.com. It's all posted at brianlilly.com. You can find the details there. Canada's commitment under the Paris Climate Change Accord is to reduce our carbon emissions, so carbon dioxide, uh, methane, all the greenhouse gases, to 30% below 2005 levels by 2030. 30% below 2005 levels by 2030. 
They say that their plan will take us to 12% below what Canada admitted in 2016. Huh. Okay, well, what does that get us to? What's Canada at now? What were we at in 2005? How does it all play out? Well, right now we're at 704 megatons in 2016. That is less than 1% below the 2005 mark of 729 megatons. So in 2005, we were at 729 megatons. 2016, we're at 704. 1% drop, less than 1% drop, really. To meet the Paris targets, we need to get down to or below 510 megatons. This $50 a ton carbon tax is not going to get us there because we'll be at 619 megatons by 2022 if we get the maximum effect. So we're still off by 109 megatons with eight years to go. What does that mean? I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, but what does this mean? The carbon tax will go higher. The carbon tax will go higher and higher and higher and higher until you make the better choices that Justin Trudeau wants you to make. That's what this is all about. This is about you making the choices he wants. We all know about the $300 a ton carbon tax that Environment Canada bureaucrats called for in their 2014 report or 2015 report was given to the government December 2015, just after Trudeau's elected. We need a $300 a ton carbon tax just to make up for what is there, just to make up for the time that we've lost, okay? And what will be four years after that? So how high will it have to be? Will it have to be $400 a ton? Will it have to be $500 a ton? What will it have to be? Under Justin Trudeau's plan, the dollar sixty a liter they're paying in Vancouver will seem like a bargain. And try getting fresh produce in the winter to stave off scurvy with the prices that we'll be paying. Here's my questions to you as we wake, uh, open up the phone lines. Do you think Trudeau knows what he's talking about? Do you believe him? Or do you think like I do? That this is a ruse to get, you know, get us past the next election and then jack it up, jack it up, jack it up. I want to hear from you. The phone number six one three five two one talk. That's five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility or one eight hundred five eight zero CFRA. If you're out of town, if you're watching on Facebook Live, and I see you guys popping in from across the country on Facebook Live, if you're watching on Facebook Live and want to participate. 1-800-580-CFRA. Let me just flip the camera around and point it up there. 1-800-580-CFRA. That's 1-800-580-2372. You see the numbers there. Go to the phones now. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Remember, 
He's on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I think one of the things we've seen uh, across the country is that the incentives uh, that come from uh, better beha- from uh, better choices, uh, making choices to be cleaner and greener, uh, is exactly what we want. When you put a price on what you don't want, which is pollution, you encourage people uh, to uh, make better choices. Better choices, meaning you make the choices Justin Trudeau wants you to make. Don't worry, it's not about control. It's not about control at all. Make better choices. Have better behavior. Don't worry about the price of gas. It's only going to go up. Are you willing to put up with that? Uh, Tony, calling all the way from Metropolitan Saskatoon. Tony, you're on Beyond the News. Bilo, what a pleasure to talk to you. I've been listening to you on iHeartRadio, and I did get the new app. Um, It's fantastic. First time time calling in, but great, great to hear your voice. Oh, good to talk to you. Your province, one of the sane ones, not going along with this and threatening to, well, they, they launched the constitutional challenge last week, uh, Premier um, yeah, Scott Moe. Yeah, they went to the, uh, the well, the Saskatchewan Court of Appeals to get the, uh, what do they call it, reference so they can go on to the Supreme Court. And, yeah. And, yep, can't wait till that goes through. I really think that uh, Mr. Moe is, is, at the very least, going to buy some time because I think that Doug Ford will, will win in Ontario and scrap your carbon tax. And then hopefully the whole scam falls apart. But uh, well, people out here are just furious about it, Brian. This is. Uh, I, I've, you, I've been saying ahead, for sorry. some time now, Tony, that the reason they didn't want to put this out there is it would show that they won't meet their targets. And this shows they won't meet the targets, which means $50 is just the start. Are you ready for a carbon tax six times higher, meaning what, what will gas be where you live? Uh, two bucks a liter, three bucks a liter? Oh, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, if uh, I mean, I know you've been out here, you see people drive everywhere because we've got some pretty big distances between some of the, the major centers out here. And I mean, I hate to say people aren't going to stand for it, but we're Canadians. I, but I think what, uh, what you know, the environmental people have never taken into account deliberately is, you know, what John Cretchen referred to a couple of decades ago as Canada's huge carbon sinks, our boreal forest, our cropland in Saskatchewan alone absorbs more carbon than we as a country put out, but Mm -hmm. they don't want to factor that in because they just want the money. Well, they want the money. They've subscribed to this new world order and they have bought into it. It goes back to Rio. It goes back to agenda 21, which is not a conspiracy theory. Canada is a signatory to it. It's a United Nations actual, uh, program. They, they recently changed the name. I forget what to, but, um, you know, they've bought into this uh, theology, and nothing will, will take them away from it. Well, and unfortunately, they'll, they will end up getting their way because as these carbon taxes work their way through the economy and as our manufacturing jobs are exported to the states, I mean, our emissions will be reduced because we just won't have the jobs. Well, I was reading John uh, Iveson in the National Post this morning and companies that have a lot of... Uh, work at play in the oil fields out your way in Saskatchewan, in uh, um, in Alberta, in Canada, TransCanada, Enbridge, all looking at moving to Denver or Houston to get away from the regulations and the tax. And, and I know I saw your premier tweet that 1,300 people are out of work because they they can't even get their, their product to, to market. 
So it, it, it's tough going with these guys. But thanks for the call, Tony, and don't be a stranger. Uh, we do take calls from across the country. Thanks, Brian. All right. Let's go to uh, Edie in Little Italy. Hi. Yeah, hi, Brian. You're on there? Uh, yeah. Um, you Before your time, probably, Trudeau, his daddy, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Oh, I remember you, him. You, you remember him, eh? But did you know that he brought in the metric just so we couldn't figure the damn thing out how much we were <laughs> I've paying. always thought that that was part of the reason. That, that ne- was the reason. That and he hated Britain. People, people, yeah, well, he liked uh, en français, hein? but uh, people used to drive out. There was one um, in Carlton Place. There was one garage that held out, and people, a lot of people used to drive out there and uh, pick up their gas. That's why he did it, the bugger. But, you know, the son is so cute with his curl, and he's so, ooh, he's an actor, don't you know? Well, I'm sure there are an awful lot of women that voted for him just because he's cute. <laughs> or they, they, they might well, use I, I, more what? strident language than just I cute. Think back, Brian, and I remember I voted for his father. For the same reason? <laughs> because he was different, eh? <laughs> and well, I still regret me. voting for Bob Ray in 1990, but I wish on. What can I say? <laughs> right. Anyway, I wanted to just quickly mention um, the uh, fire on on Corso Italia, Little Italy. My gosh, they should be getting Italian workers there. This is a second bloody fire. You know, the big building that yeah. they're building on, and they close that up. It's closed up more often and it's going, the workers wouldn't go there because uh, it was dangerous. It that, was dangerous. You know, I, was, I wondered when I first heard about it, I wondered if it was the, um, uh, what's the name of the huge one that, that you're referencing here? I wondered yeah. if it was that building. It turns out it's another high-rise yeah, around the yeah, corner. It's a, no, it's another one. I know the area because but, that's my area. But it's, it's um, a huge one there. I don't know how. It's going up it's to gonna the It's going to be the tallest building in Ottawa, I believe. Yes, yes. And the buggers, I don't know how they got that in there because they weren't even supposed to put it in there. But somebody had pull, and it's humongous if they ever get the damn thing built. I, I remember looking at the price of the penthouse there, and it's the size of two mega homes, and it costs several million dollars. I can't remember well, the exact the, figure the now. The thing is, Brian, they were not supposed to put the damn thing in there to begin with. And it was somebody pulled the strings. That's that's the way the you know, world works, Edie. Really. All right, so I, they should get the Italians to build it, and then it wouldn't burn up and okay. fall apart. I got to run. Thanks <laughs> for the call. Five two one talk. Five two one eight two five five. Star five eighty on Bell Mobility, or one eight hundred five eight zero CFRA. Justin Trudeau and his carbon tax. His own numbers show it won't accomplish what he claims. Are you ready to pay more and more and more to make Justin's better choices? 521 Talk. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
Something you might not know about me is that I love movies and TV shows. One of my all-time favorites is Breaking Bad. It's even available on some online streaming services if you've never seen it. But I'm running for prime minister. So why am I talking to you about TV shows? Because some politicians want to tax digital streaming services like Netflix and YouTube. Some have even called on us to introduce a Netflix tax. Now, Justin Trudeau and Thomas Mulcair have left the door wide open to doing just that. I'm 100% against a Netflix tax. You recognize that deep, sultry, smooth voice. Stephen J. Harper from the 2015 campaign warning us about a Netflix tax. Like those liberals, still bring in a Netflix tax. Liberals denied it, uphill and down. It's one of the stories I wrote up on brianlilly.com today because we now have two different reports. The Heritage Committee last year and now the Commons International Trade Committee saying we need a Netflix tax. Last year it was charge all online content 5% tax to fund Canadian media. This year it's charge them HST and other taxes. They denied up and down that they do it, but you can't trust liberals on taxes, which is why I don't trust Justin Trudeau. Asked today directly, will your carbon tax lead to a spike in gas prices? Right now, we're dealing with gas prices that are out of control across the country. And he was asked, will your carbon tax increase the price of gas? Do you think he answered? I think one of the things we've seen uh, across the country is that the incentives uh, that come from uh, better beha- from uh, better choices, uh, making choices to be cleaner and greener, uh, is exactly what we want. When you put a price on what you don't want, which is pollution, you encourage people uh, to uh, make better choices. Make better choices. His choice. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. Beyond the news at CFRA is the email address. Are you ready to put up with this ever-increasing cost? Trudeau's going to lie to you and say the $50 a ton. Catherine McKenna's already out there saying, this proves we will get there. Well, no. No. Doesn't at all. In fact... If you follow the numbers, it shows the opposite. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Stefan in Russell, you're on Beyond the News. Are you there? Uh, Stefan, yep. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't really don't trust Justin Judeau or Catherine McKenna on this, on this file for sure. But you know what, Brian? What, you know what the scary thing is? What's that? I don't know if you're about my age, but... When I was in my early teens, I remember a movie called The Last Chase. Have you ever seen it or heard it? No. Okay. It's a movie that came out in 1981 starring Lee Majors, the same Lee Majors in The Six Million Dollar Man. And basically the storyline of this movie is about the, the world out of oil and the United States became a police state and people had to live in a city with no cars because the government took away the personal cars away from the people. And people have to use either walk, ride their bikes, or use public transportation. But we're not around. running out of oil. We've got more than enough oil to do as for centuries. Oh, I know. But the storyline is similar to what, they, what the government would, try to do, would want us to live like, like the people in the storyline in the movie. Unreal.
where the, the police state and the government, Big Brother, they're watching you. Well, and they, they do want to find a way to enforce their choice on us. Now, you live out in, in Russell. Yeah. Uh, how's public transit in Russell? There's only one bus that goes in the morning and from Monday to Friday, and I wonder what comes back here. Yeah, but and what I, about to get around to Russell or to take you over to Metcalf? You want to go to Campbell's and Metcalf? The only way I get there is by car. Well, well, sucks to be you. You should make better choices and live in a high-rise downtown, Stefan. No, not really. <laughs> That's what Justin Trudeau wants you to do. Oh, yeah. So I said, hey, check out the movie called The Last Chase with Lee Majors. You will, you'll see what I mean. Well, I'm worried that uh, that is what we could be headed for. Thanks for yeah, the call. Exactly. All right. All right. Let's go to Guy. You're on Beyond the News. Guy? Okay. We'll put Guy on hold and see if he comes back. Uh, Elizabeth, you are on Beyond the News. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think they really thought this out in, in, in some ways. Either that or they're just ignoring things because, you know, the the cost of gas, is going to go up and it's going to hit the people who are vulnerable, the people who are disabled, who need a car to get around. Well, they're, they're already they, on low income. They just need to make better choices. Justin said so. <laughs> yeah, you're in, you know, you can't walk and you've got to make a better choice. I guess you get housebound and that's it. Well, you, you, you're nicer to the environment then. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry to be flip about it, but that, no, I, it, I that appears to be where he's coming from. Yeah. Live the way he I'm wants saying, you to. You know, he hasn't thought about it. He doesn't, as I said, he hasn't had to think about stretching a dollar. No. If no, he's gone he's into Dollarama, plate. if he's gone into Dollarama or a giant tiger, it's for a lark. Yeah. So we're all going to have to buy horses and ponies. It's going to be cheaper. So we're all going to have to go the Amish way. <laughs> and then he'll find a way to tax hay. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Okay. Bye. <laughs> five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility or one eight hundred five eight zero CFRA. Let me play for you again, Catherine McKenna. This is our environment minister as she is telling a, a conference call earlier today that she wants to take 20 million cars off the road. And, I mean, when you look at the, the price on pollution, it eliminates 80 to 90 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions. So that's like, that's like taking all, every car off the road in Canada or closing uh, 20 to 23 coal plants for a year. We don't have that many coal plants, I don't believe, anymore. And she wants to get rid of the ones that we have, even the ones that are using carbon capture and storage, she wants to get rid of. These guys are on a crusade. They're on a crusade to get rid of the oil and gas industry. You heard John Robson earlier talk about how Britain and Norway just two of the countries, that are going to ban the internal combustion engine. They're going to ban gasoline and diesel-driven cars within about 20 years. They'll be gone. Now, could technology change? Yeah, think back 20 years. What'd your cell phone look like? Did you have a cell phone? Not many of us had cell phones 20 years ago. 
You couldn't track down people as easily as you could. Our computers were bigger and bulkier. Our cars didn't have the technology in them that they have now. Vastly different. So, yeah, technology could change and we could find a breakthrough, but we don't have one yet. This is about a money grab. It will not meet their targets and the tax will only go up. George, you're on Beyond the News. There's three interesting things for you. You know when they talk about the crops out west there? Yep. Being part of a carbon zinc? Yep. Guess what? They're going offline in maybe two to three years. What do you mean? The uh, temperatures are dropping so that we can no longer be, be growing out there. Two more temperature degrees drops and they're, they're, they're done. Oh, no, it's only warming, George. It's only warming. Oh, no, warming. it's cooling. And, 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 and your topic you're talking about now is the exact topic that Lowell Green talked about, except he was talking about the hydropower plants and the cost of electricity going up. You're talking exactly the same, but just put a place in the word gas. And as for finding solutions for the thing, uh, many years back in India, a guy actually came out with a method of turning grass and, and vegetation into in, in kerosene. And then they, 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 they said he didn't do it and discredited him and uh, made, made a fool of him. But he was doing it because he was running his own town on, on the kerosene he had made. Well, yeah, and, and, and maybe you didn't if he was able to do it, George. I actually don't believe all these stories that the oil companies come in and shut all this stuff down. No, no. The way they discredited him was the same way, they, 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 same word pattern they used to discredit turning lead into gold. Use, you can go right through the things for alchemy and pick them out and you compare it with what they use for this guy. Same thing, exactly, word for uh, word. Do you think you can book? turn lead into gold? No, he was t- turning vegetation into kerosene. But do you think you can turn lead into gold? Uh, which method do you want? All right, thanks for the call, George. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, Rob. Rob, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. How are you? <laughs> Uh, that was a neat call, the, the previous one. I'm a big fan of yours, by the way. Oh, thank you, sir. Um, I just wanted to say that everybody's talking about how the price is going to go up and up and up and up. Eventually, Canadians are just going to say enough. Will they? Absolutely. We, we, we do have a tipping point. And, and I think it's starting to show in, in his popularity numbers. And I think that people in, that are trying to compete against Justin are going to eventually clue in that we're not going to be forced to walk over poles in bare feet. Well, uh, you know, it, it was bizarre. You know, it's a buck sixty a liter in Vancouver right now. And when I had Dan McTague on the other day, he said, Brian, I was doing CBC show the other day, and they said, uh, they had people calling in saying, I want the price of gas higher. So there's some people out there that are just going to take this no matter what and think it's good for them. But these are the people, these are the people that can bear or that can still kind of afford a a rising gas price. There are far more people that can't afford it that are eventually going to say, you know what, enough. I can't afford to drive to work. Now I'm going to live in poverty because of gas prices. Well, guess what? When these people can't drive to work, they're going to stand on parliament lawns and they're going to finally get involved in, in, in uh, democratic protests. And, and eventually something, something's got to snap somewhere. I mean, we can, only, we can only take so much. I hope so. Thanks for the call, Rob. Thank you. Have a great right. day. Let's go to, going to try and get to everyone before the end of the show. Rick, you're on Beyond the News. Yeah, hi, Brian. I, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, 
the liberals are on, and this has been going on since the early 2000s. Uh, uh, like, you, like you mentioned something a while ago, Agenda 21. Yep. Well, you know, the agenda is right on the United Nations website. It's on the Government of Canada website, or it was before Trudeau scrubbed it, because they, they had to file compliance um, agreements every year. Yeah, well, people would be, be wise to read it, read it because it's very scary what they want to do to us. And it's not just the, the hydro and the gas and the carbon tax. It's a lot worse than that. I mean, they're going to get into your food and get into your... Uh, they'll, they'll even have police coming in your truck in your place at some point. So people have got to wake up. Like the United Nations, we should get the hell out of the United Nations. They're no good for us. This was started by Maurice Strong. I don't know if you well, ever the, heard the, of him. the environment stuff was started by Maurice Strong, but the United Nations, uh, it's uh, it's a mess. Um, you know, I talked to John Bolton about this. The U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he used to be the U.S. ambassador to the UN, and, and now he's Trump's um, what is he? National Security Advisor. The bouncer. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, John John's in the right job. But I talked to him a few times about this, and he said, Brian. Yeah. What we have to do is call for a a change in the United Nations by withholding our money. He said, because we can't get rid of it. It's not going to go away. So let's change it because we're the biggest funders. Thanks for the call, Rick. Uh, Okay, sir. All right. Got to take a quick break and then back with more of your calls. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Rick mentioned Agenda 21 and I've brought it up and people always think, oh, you're crazy. It's a thing. No, it's all over the Government of Canada website. I did a search on it. Uh, 1,830,000 search results. Now, not all of them are going to be it, but right off the top, all the top ones are. Let's go to uh, who's waiting here. Uh, Sophia, you're on Beyond the News. Good evening. I I believe that all reasons for rising price of gas are fake news. And the only reason for the rising prices is the federal and provincial a government's desperate need for money to pay down the debt and to allocate money for the needs of the country. And the easiest way to get the money is from people who drive vehicles. I, I don't disagree that it's um, driven by the government. They have decided that we're all cash cows. Uh Huge portion of the uh, the funds that we pay out are uh, are taxes. The yep. for, uh, the funds that we pay out for for gasoline. It's all taxes. That's exactly right. And the thing is that we as Canadians, we don't sit down every day or every week to calculate how much extra we have to pay for the gas and how much extra per month and per year we have paid. You see, because we're so busy with doing our things that we're doing, right? It's literally 98 cents a liter Canadian in Ogdensburg right now. It's terrible. 
All right. Thanks for the call. And, and, and you know, and uh, even I myself, I noticed, uh, you know, five dollars for twenty dollars, I had to pay an extra five dollars, and for uh, for another quantity, it was about ten dollars extra. So about fifteen dollars extra I, in a short time. I'm trying to only put in twenty at a time until uh, until this is actually solved and comes down a little bit. But good luck. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Okay. Thanks. Bye. You know, I saw gas at a dollar twenty nine on the drive in, and I was thinking. Oh, that's that's better than it was, which is kind of like, oh, you're happy they stopped beating you with a stick. Constant, are you calling in about gas or pike lanes? <laughs> the both of them. Okay, go quick. Everyone's got to go quick. So this way, uh, this way with the rising of the gas, and mind you, I try to talk to Mona Fortier, can't talk to her, can't talk to Madame Desrosiers either in Vanier, and now they want to block one side of Vanier, uh, Montreal Road, and make it a bicycle lane. Uh, you see, this it's, way that people you know, are going to save It's not a busy lane at all. <laughs> They're going to ruin the city. This city is going to the ruins, man. And uh, believe me, that the water is going to come up to the same price as the gas. Because eh? I pay two hundred and fifty bucks every second month for my water. We're only three people in the building here, and I got a triplex. Oh man, two hundred and fifty every second month, and I'm just. Fed up, fed up, fed up. And uh, have you asked them when they're going to rise the prices on, uh, rise our check for old age people? We've never heard anything since he's been there. Did we ever hear anything about rising I'd, the check for old age people? I'd have to look into that. I don't know. I'd like you to make a, a, a story about it at night and ask people to call you because some of them are barely making it and they got to park the car and they got to cancel the insurance. Because oh, they no, can't that, make both ends meet with the rentals. The rentals are up to thirteen, no. seventeen hundred for a three-bedroom. Constant, constant. You got to get rid of the car. You got to live in a smaller place. You have to walk everywhere, even if your hips and your knees are gone. Well, and my hip is starting to. You've go, got to make better choices, constant. And the condo, and the condo uh, right now. Uh, look at the, when the people bought them; it was all hunky dory. What's going on with the condos now? That they're having brothel right and left. They're paying double what that's they're paying. Bad condo. You're talking about the place on Southvale. Yep. That's bad condo management. Yeah. It's one of my a lot of those horror over. stories of uh, living in a condo. Thanks well, for the call. Well, maybe you could address Mr. Trudeau about the <laughs> situation for old age. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, we have time for two more calls. Let's go quick. Guy, you're on Beyond the News. Go. Well, Constantino made some very good points about not the lack of affordable housing in this city overall. Well done, Constantino. Um, great to hear Edie back. I haven't heard her in a long time, Brian. I'll keep it short tonight. Do you have that clip again? I'd like to hear that half-retract from Justin. Do you have um, that? Yeah, yeah, just a second here, just a second. Uh, do I have clips on? Yeah, okay. I think one of the things we've seen uh, across the country is that the incentives uh, that come from uh, better beha- from uh, better choices, uh, making choices to be cleaner and greener, uh, is exactly what we want. When you put a price on what you don't want, which is pollution, you encourage people uh, to uh, make better choices. Right, let me get the part you want, guy. The incentives uh, that come from uh, better behave from better behave. I guess the SD card kind of flipped a bit there. Right? A little bit. So you you uh, you think that was um, he caught himself realizing that'll sound real bad if I say you need better behavior, Brian? I think it goes to so much that is the. Non-substance of that. I, I, I won't get serious. I'll just keep okay. it light. Thanks for the you call, know what? guy. No, Brian, you know, uh, I just wanted to say one thing. Yeah. When you see what happened in Ontario with energy and hydro, and you see butts, and you see the same game plan, what 
And John, one of your former colleagues said it, if you think what Kathleen Wynne and Jerry Butts did to Ontario, just wait till you see what Justin Trudeau and oh. Jerry Butts will do to Canada. Exactly. But, got to run to know, Maddie. No, got to yeah. run to Maddie, guy. Thanks for the call. Trying to get everyone on 30 seconds. Maddie, go. Okay. Carbon tax. Does that also include Trudeau and his little tokers? His what? Trudeau and everybody that tokes up. Doesn't that cause carbon and pollution? I actually don't know. I don't know what they exhale. It might. Well, no, but I mean you're burning cigarettes, so you're burning something. So there's got to be carbon coming out. There's got to be a carbon tax on pot. I never thought of that. I mean, it's carbon in general, isn't it? Because like they said, whether you're exhaling, it's carbon. So if we're riding our bicycles, we're exhaling even harder because now we've got to walk there. And like I said, when it comes to toking, well, you got to light a match to set your, uh, you know, your cigarette on fire, and then you inhale really deeply, don't you? And you got to exhale that. So that's carbon. Maddie, brilliant. And I'm going to anyway, start this campaign. I got to run, but uh, I'm going right, to start a campaign, for- and I'm going to credit Maddie to get pot under the carbon tax. We want pot under the carbon tax because then all the pot smokers. We'll hate the carbon tax, and they'll let Justin know. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. Wraps the show for tonight. Do check out brianlilly.com, facebook.com slash brianlilly. Back at it again tomorrow night. Remember, I'm on your side.